Happy Monday, everybody. I'm your host, Chris Long. This is my co-host, Making Gunner. Hello. He's wearing sunglasses, uh, whatever that means. We'll see. Uh, we're very lucky today to be joined by Mike Tannenbaum, former GM of the Jets, a guy you see on ESPN a lot these days, giving us like kind of nuanced front office kind of breakdown type type stuff. Um, he can fill in a lot of the gaps for us right now with everything going on in pro football. It's nice to have a guy like that on the show. So he'll be on in a bit. Also, we're going to go through the worst Sunday slate of football that I can remember in recent memory. Um, had a bad day uh, at the office, so to speak. Gambling, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about AJ Green. We'll talk about Aaron Donald maybe breaking the sack record. Jalen Ramsey's hit. Can the Niners make the playoffs? And then we've got awards uh, that we want to hand out as usual on Monday. So stick around. Be a lot of fun today. First off, I want to do a PSA and a shout out before the shouts out to my buddy Andrew Dewey, who has counseled me to not set my laptop on the old family jewels for the duration of my podcasting career. He noticed that, uh, and I'm also, that calls into question whether or not any of the listeners actually give a fuck about my health. You've been watching me put this radioactive five-year-old by the way, MacBooks are supposed to last like what four or five years. I'm on like year six. Yeah, 2013 model here. Wow, I got a 15, and I'm in the market for a new one. But either way, you shouldn't put the MacBook over your stones. That's interesting. I happen to know Andrew Dewey, and I didn't get that because you said it more like on your knees, like way down there on your knees. Um, and. For me, a lot of times sitting in bed, etc., laptop is right, you know, there. So shout out to Andrew Dewey for counseling me on getting a platform to sit my laptop on. And that's what I have today. Um, and I'm also wondering why nobody mentioned anything that listened to this podcast besides uh, Dewdrop. Shout out to Dewey. Um, hey. Hey. Thursday night... Uh, Thursday night's been rough. Yeah, we can't get, I, neither of us can get a win on our Thursday night time machine. The tally is three to zero, me. And uh, if these games keep getting moved around, you might be heading for a Waffle House sooner than later. I think I am going to the Waffle House once again. My lovely wife, Meg, had me run an errand, uh, and the mattress store was right in the, um, in the same shopping complex as the Waffle House here in, uh, in Greater Charlottesville, Virginia. And that's where I'm going, probably. The old, uh, the old Aaron to the mattress store. Hey, can you go run, run, pick me up a, a mattress? A mattress. <laughs> it was great. Uh, the people were very helpful at the mattress store. Also, an interesting dynamic of selling mattresses is you're always selling a product to somebody who's laying down. Right. You got to test it out. Yeah, but it's just a weird dynamic. You're standing over somebody who's making themselves at home and in your establishment. Right. Also, where are you on? the cleanliness of those mattresses in the era of COVID. Like, do you really want to lay down on a mattress and mattress warehouse or mattress firm right now? 
test it out? Do not, no. Yeah, no. I didn't think about that, but I'm good. It's been a couple weeks. Um, so yeah, Thursday Night Time Machine. If you haven't checked it out, it is a really cool segment we do on Thursday nights. It's the only one in existence of its type. Um, it's gotta be, right? Where we predict the scores, acknowledge that it's real time, pregame Thursday at the time of recording, and then um, transition by a time machine type noise. A sounder. Uh, sound Sounder is what they call it in the biz. Then we break down the game after, or I break down the game after, usually at one or two in the morning. So I work very hard on this segment. You're sleeping, which I understand you have another job, but it's gotta be the only segment of this type, maybe in the universe. I'm quite certain it is. If you were to tell me that another show would write, quote, we start with a time travel prediction and recap of Thursday Night Football, end quote, I would be shocked. I would be shocked. Um, I would be shocked. I, I don't think it exists no. anywhere. No. Yeah. Uh-uh. Speaking of segments, I had a little idea. Oh, yeah? What you got? Mount Rushmore. Let me give you a little history lesson. What's Mount Rushmore? It's a colossal sculpture carved into the granite face of, get this, Mount Rushmore. No way. In the Black Hills in Keystone, South Dakota. Sculptor Gutzen Borglum created the sculpture's design and oversaw the project's execution from 1927 to 1941. That had to be hard. With the help of his son, Lincoln. He had the help of his son, Lincoln. Yeah, just one guy. The sculpture features the 60-foot heads of Presidents George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. The four presidents were chosen to represent the nation's birth, growth, development, and preservation, respectively. Preservation, that's a key one these days. At any rate, there are four heads, and I was thinking, we like ranking things. Yeah, I love it. Who doesn't like every podcast likes ranking things, right? Maybe we put a spin on it instead of Mount Rushmore. We call it Mount Gushmore because we're going to gush over our four favorite subjects in, in any oh, given that's an realm. interesting spin. Yeah. I like that. I love it. Okay, here's the problem. There's just one big problem, and I, I like your idea. It rhymes. It's a way to rank things. Uh, I think it's tremendous, but I have two buddies that have a segment I just realized hmm. called Mount Rushmore. They have a podcast, they have a segment called Mount Rushmore, uh, and I wouldn't want to take something from my friends. I just wouldn't want to do that. You know, I wouldn't want to lift their segment. Right. It'd be bad form. Okay. Uh, whether it was unintentional or intentional, and I were to lift their segment and just do another Mount Rushmore, it'd just, it'd just be a bad look, wouldn't it? That's fair, yeah. Yeah, pardon my intellectual property. Yeah, exactly, say. exactly. We'd probably, we'd probably be told to maybe cease and desist. Okay, fair enough. Um, I do have, I. I do have an idea, speaking of Mount Rushmore's, did you know that there's a Mount Rushmore in the Czech Republic? Or they call it the Czech Mount Rushmore. In Czechoslovakia, I don't know which one it is. Yeah, I think it's Czech Republic these days. Are you referring to the Devil Heads? Devil Heads. Devil Heads, yeah, they can be accessed in the northern part of the Czech Republic, where an expanse of dense forest land gives way to the village of Zalizi. With their hollowed out eyes, the ghoulish looking twin figured reliefs carved into the side of the cliff are the stuff of childhood nightmares. Reaching 30 feet in height, the two menacing faces are the creation of Czech sculptor Vaclav Levy, who carved them on site from 1841 to 1846. So 
devil heads. I think that's a great idea. I, I'm seeing also, something else I wouldn't saying want, devil's heads. You know what? So I, we can go either let's way. Let's do devil's heads. I think it's a great idea. How many heads are there? Two. Two heads. I think that's the perfect way to rank things. Right. One you, is just your favorite. Yeah, because you can't just use one thing to rank. Like if we did like Statue of Liberty, it'd be fucking stupid, right? It'd just be one thing. It'd, it'd be a goat argument. Yeah. And those are boring. Two is perfect. Four is too much. Also, who was the guy you said did Mount Rushmore? Gutzenborglum. I wouldn't want to do that as a uh, segment because it says here that Gutzenborglum, he did Stone Mountain and worked with the KKK. So that's kind of a problematic uh, segment there. Canceled, Gutzen. Yeah, he's canceled. I'm thinking maybe Mount Rushmore as a monument is canceled. I don't know about it like as a podcast segment. I think the devil's heads is is the new it's just bad to do the kk you know like it's just bad to work with the kkk devil's heads full steam ahead devil's heads there's nothing problematic about that is there nah what would you like to rank well the lakers won the big one last night didn't they lake show congrats i love the lakers they call me laker chris in I, some circles i saw zero minutes zero seconds of that ball gum didn't watch the ceremony saw a tweet or two afterwards Let's Congrats. do top two Lakers on the current roster. Oh, I like that a yeah, lot. Yeah, that's so a good way to kick off devil's heads. We each get two. Yeah, we'll do a snake draft. Okay, yeah. you want to go first, Laker Chris? I'd love to go first. Um, why don't we go one of the best Lakers of all time, Dwight Howard. Damn. Redemption story. He made a run in 2012, came back to finish the job with the franchise that he's most synonymous with. Good pick. Yeah, I'm going to go... Dwight Howard for, you know, the, the first ever entry into the Devil's Head segment. Okay. With the second overall pick in the Devil's Heads draft of current LA Lakers, I will take Rajon Rondo. Some people call him Rajon. I call him Rajon. Some people call him a leader, you know, because he taught LeBron about leadership last week, according to Rajon. 34 years old, the linchpin of this roster. Last one a ring in 2008 with the Celtics was LeBron's mentor, Chris, physically emotionally, spiritually, went for 19-4-4. Four and four I really fucked winner. up that first pick. I would have loved, I, co I, I would covet Rondo had I thought about it. The series winner, I should say. Snake draft, so I'm still up. My second devil's head of two devil's heads. Whew, I'm gonna go another two-time NBA champion, J.R. Smith, mm. a.k.a. J.R. Swish. Uh, shirt off last night. Too sexy for shirts. Shirt off on the court. A stunning performance for a DNP mm -hmm. coach's decision. Yeah. Showing that he's just as valuable on the sideline as on the court. All right. Well, let's round out the uh, first installment of Devil's Head uh, with uh, this was a guy I'm so thankful you didn't take. I'm actually shocked you didn't. Danny Green. Mm. Got to be not just one of the best Lakers on the roster right now, but of all time. He's got three different championships on three different teams. Say the best for last. Danny Green. Good pick. Those guys are going to look good on our graphic of, uh, of the Devil's Heads monument, which we will put out on social media. Check Mount Rushmore. To recap, your Devil's Heads are Dwight Howard and Danny Green. Yes. I went Rajon Rondo yes. and J.R. Swish. Now, the great thing about Devil's Heads is who made the Devil's Heads? Vaclav Levy. Did he work with the Klan? Not clear. 
at this time. But probably not. Unlikely. I think we're in, we're, we're, uh, we are in the clear uh, with this segment. I think it's going to be a tremendous segment. I can't wait to do it like all the time. Just how could you not like this segment? It's, it's perfect. It's also original. It's an evergreen segment. It's evergreen. We can do it on this show. Yeah. And then on Thursday, of course, we have our other unique segment, the Thursday Night Time Machine. Thursday Night Time Machine, only of its type. Only segment once more in the universe that we know of. Now, there are other, there are other galaxies out there. Maybe in some Earth-like planet, some other podcast is doing a time machine segment transitioned by a time machine noise starting with a real-time prediction segment into a post-game breakdown on the Thursday show that comes out on Friday. Like, maybe somewhere else in a galaxy far, far away, but not this galaxy. Laker Chris, let's get to some segments. Let's talk about this ugly slate. Uh, Hopefully it's the worst of the season. First off, really gloomy Sunday. It rained like (sighs) biblical yesterday, as they say in uh, central Virginia and along the eastern seaboard. It's still gloomy out there. You've got COVID bearing down on the country and the NFL subsequently. You get robbed of a Josh Allen experience because of it. Uh, Worst slate so far this year, and I haven't looked ahead, but hopefully we we don't see this type of Sunday again. You had one meeting between teams with winning records. The best game of the week was Thursday. Uh, and the best game of the day was during the NBA Finals. For the NFL, the entire NFC East is awful, so not good from a market standpoint, Eastern Seaboard standpoint. Uh, Two coaches got fired this week, and the moment that we thought would all save the slate, and maybe did save the slate because Alex Smith's redemption story was so touching, just felt like, it didn't maximize the potential of inspiration because one, it was a game that nobody was watching. Uh, it didn't, we didn't have any time to get ready for it. I mean, it, it happened in a flash. And if you were watching another game, it wasn't like they turned the game to FedEx field uh, for, for a live look. He deserved a raucous ovation, and I felt robbed uh, not to see it happen that way. I know it doesn't matter to him if there are fans in the stands or not, but he deserved 70,000 people on their feet. Maybe it would be just the same without a pandemic at FedEx Field, but here we are. Um, And as much as I loved seeing his family, and it was touching to me, I just watched them kind of sitting there nervously in a torrential downpour in an empty stadium, and it was just this surreal moment. And you couldn't even enjoy the success story for more than a couple hours because before you could could soak it in, you had one of football's best good guys suffering a similar type injury on the field. Now, what happens after this is all based on how the recovery is executed and God forbid anything like that happens to Dak Prescott, but they're two very serious injuries. And for Alex Smith, he completed the redemption story arc yesterday. Um, and maybe in his mind, it's not done. Maybe he's way more serious about playing quarterback in the NFL than we were ever about him going forward in 2020 and beyond. You couldn't soak it in before Dak was laying on the field as one of these, these guys who's universally loved. And he's got a gruesome injury of his own, and we saw it. Like, we saw it. I saw it on accident. It was disgusting. And that moment reminded me that that 
you know, football is just not that big a deal. I mean, as if the pandemic doesn't drive it home when you see guys from around the league tweeting, you know, praying for Dak, thinking about Dak. You've got Jason Garrett coming over there, puts his arm around Mike McCarthy, and they're both struggling to kind of take this thing in. You hate seeing a, a player get hurt like that, and all injuries really do do hold weight in a locker room. But we naturally, when it's the quarterback and a great guy to boot and a guy who's playing on the tag, I mean, like, it was just an awful moment in so many ways, and Dak's been through so much in his life, um, and it crushed me to see it, and it drove home that football's not that important, um, as only something like that could. And in the end, all that having been said, you had four one-score games to show for that Sunday. And there was one game that nobody was watching. Uh, one game was New York, Dallas, which is a shit show right now, and obviously he had the Dak injury. He had one one-score game that was during the NBA Finals. And then the one-score game that actually was relatively exciting and thrilling, it ends with a Mahomes loss. And that even if you're like happy for the Raiders, you just hate seeing Mahomes lose. I just People turn on Mahomes to see him go off and, and win the game. Um, so it was a bad Sunday. Bad Sunday. And it ended even worse for me. Do tell. Viking Seahawks. I was in chase mode. I was like behind the sticks running around like a chicken with my head cut off, like scrambling to get a bet in, which is never a good thing on uh, Minnesota and, uh, and, and the Seahawks. And I loaded up, and I'm not saying that lightly. Which side? I was on the Seahawks and the over. Um, and Seahawks money line, Seahawks points. Points. Yeah, dude. So as the game developed, it's one of these mind fuck type games where you're like, do I have a chance? I probably don't in the first half. I have to focus my energy on pulling for the Seahawks to cover. Uh, the Vikings have a lead, so you can't root for scoring. Then there's that explosion in the third quarter, and I'm thinking, okay, I got a chance at both here. I'm, 21-13. I'm back. And then eventually it's 26-21. Now, mind you, the over is 55. So uh, I'm looking at that, and Hawks minus 7, and 26 plus 21 is 47. So it's painstakingly close, but you're doing the math, and I'm thinking maybe with the Vikings milking the clock in four-minute mode, which felt like they were in four-minute mode the whole fucking game, uh theme here keeping patrick mahomes off the field with a great running back in uh josh jacobs in josh jacobs and then minnesota when i thought dalvin cook went out with a groin i thought like this game would change completely but they kept pounding the rock i'm thinking maybe they kick a field goal make it 29 21 and the hawks score and i have the over either or maybe they kick a field goal in that fourth and one situation and Hawks go down and score and go for two in overtime and you're in exactly. everything. Exactly, and then alive. I'm in everything. And that's what you get greedy as somebody with, with money on, on, on the table there. And they go timeout and I'm like, don't fucking do it, Mike Zimmer, because what I can't have is a first down. First down crushes me and kills the Seahawks. It's at this moment that I realize that not only do I have the Seahawks, but I also have the Seahawks over nine and a half wins. So I'm like, and that's a big bet. And I'm thinking to myself, like, golly, Mike Zimmer, please no. 
Mike Zimmer goes for it. We can talk about the decision another time. Uh, gives Russ the ball back. And then Russ is magic in the rain. Just magic. I, I could not believe that this guy orchestrated this drive in that amount of time with the way the water was dropping out of the fucking sky in Seattle, as it does. Uh, you get a scramble. He skips it to David Moore. It's apparent the ball's wet. He misses David Moore on a crosser. Skipped that one, too. Yep. Fourth and 10, you get a prayer to Metcalf. Just a prayer. And Danzler couldn't track it. They're inside Vikings territory with 115 to go. Then the like spin out, roll out to lock it. It's so unorthodox the way he moves in the pocket. Under a minute, one timeout at the 20, and you're thinking like, oh shit. They're going to go and score here. And I haven't done the math yet. Keep that in mind. I'm thinking I'm just pulling for the Seahawks to get another win towards that nine and a half total. I'm not thinking about the possibility that they could score and go for two and push at 55 and save my night from being a total disaster. I'm just pulling for the Seahawks. When, at what point does it dawn on you that 53 plus two equals 55? When they're literally taking the snap to convert the two-point conversion. So bad, dude. I'm like, oh my God, they got, oh my God, they're going for two. Oh my God, they got it. Oh my God, he dropped the fucking ball. Like, it was the worst roller coaster ride of emotions, uh, but as a gambler, but what's really important is the Seahawks just find ways to win. They really do. Minnesota had them in a dead-to-right situation. I mean, really looked like they were in control of the ball game the whole time. Terrible matchup. Uh, for for the for the Seahawks. In fact, I think they lost last year at home against the Vikings as well. I think I was on the wrong side there as well. Uh, but decaf Metcalf with the win. I, I swear, when they make a statue of Pete Carroll, it's going to be hunched over, drenched in a navy blue poncho, chewing gum. Like when they put a statue outside CenturyLink, that's exactly what it's going to be. And it needs to be like a fountain. There needs to be a fountain that's just that's just water rushing down over his gray hair continuously. Mm. That's the lasting impression I have of Pete Carroll. Uh, decaf Metcalf for the win. It's a huge, huge ball game for them. It looks like they're going to be in, in control of the NFC West, judging by what's going on, but you want the cushion because Arizona could get, could get better and better. Um, and you're going to be competing with the Green Bay Packers of the world. Uh, for the lone buy. Here was the worst part. Even when the Vikings got the ball back, I'm thinking they could kick a field goal. Like, this isn't over for your boy. You didn't maybe see this. I did. You saw this. Yes. Kirk Cousins gets sacked. We don't know it at the time. It looks like an incomplete pass, but players are trained to pick the ball up just in case. They don't blow the play dead, which is good. That's what we need to do more of, right? The ball could have easily been picked up for a touchdown. Went right through dude's hands. I actually would have covered. It went, it went from like, oh, fuck, you're dead. To, oh, God, you could push. Oh, you could win the bet. Oh, I hate gambling. Dude, worst game of Sunday was saved for last for me personally. Uh, and they couldn't pick that wet son of a bitch up. And it was an incomplete pass that the officials decided to rule a fumble so they could get out right. of there. So basically, like in every way, I, I feel like I got Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. Like Buffalo Wild Wings wants me to lose money. Have you considered giving up gambling? No, I haven't. 
let's get to the let's get to the uh, the games. Alrighty, questions from week five. What is next for AJ Green? I don't know what's next for him. Uh, I don't know what his trade value is. It seems like, and this is the craziest part. That ISO of him on the sideline, being his lips were read very clearly. He's talking to some some assistant coach, and he's saying, "If you're not going to use me, trade me." Essentially. Now, luckily, nobody was watching that game really at that point. Again, in a slate of terrible games, um, but he'd been on the sideline for much of the second half, essentially benched. I'm not really sure what was going on there. Coming in, the big question mark was Joe, Joe Burrow's made everybody better. Why hasn't AJ Green had that uptick of success? And you know, before the year, you were thinking to yourself, "This is an automatic. This is going to be good for for uh, Joe. It's going to be good for AJ." It hasn't worked out that well. It also has to be terrifying to say something like that and not know you're going viral for saying something like that until you get to your locker and you check your phone. Absolutely terrifying. Not if you don't know. I think he knows by now. Well, now he knows. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it has to be terrifying the feeling of doom when you realize you have 800 notifications and 700 text messages like, dude, they got you on camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of turnover in Cincy. Um, Dunlap's going to be on next year. He's uh, already been kind of demoted. He had a great run, but he's owed, you know, 13 mil. And if they don't cut him, they save 11. AJ Green's not going to be there next year. Um, You got people wondering what's going on with uh, with Geno Atkins there. Those are some of the core players from the Andy Dalton era. And it looks like this this big change that came with the quarterback and the coach is eventually going to get them too, as it does. I have no idea what value AJ would get in the market though right now. How's about none? He's 32 years old. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough, and I hate that for him because he's been such a great player, but uh, played in such a shitty place. Um, I feel for him. Did you see the interception performance by him? No. He was overthrown in, I believe, the second quarter. And, I mean, maybe you quit on the route, but it was way over his head. The worst part then was, instead of tackling Marcus Peters, he's running alongside him as if he's going to make a block. Like, zero interest in trying to make a play. What he realized in that moment was, it's scary to get tackled, but going to make plays in the open field against the tide of 10 guys running to blow Marcus Peters up is actually like there's collisions there too. Being a tackler is also um, a scary prospect for offensive players. Fourth overall pick in the 2011 draft, A.J. Green. Cam Newton was one, Von Miller two, Marcel Darius at the time three, now Marcel Darius, I believe. Yeah, wasn't that the legendary 2011 draft? Patrick Peterson next, Julio Jones, Alden Smith at 7, J.J. Watt at 11, Robert Quinn at 14. Unbelievable. Mike Pouncey's in there, Tyron Smith, a lot of big names. Wow, what Cam a Cam Jordan at 24. What a draft. Yeah, good, good draft. Speaking of uh, dudes you played with, yeah, A.D., does he break the sack record? This is one I, I, I got to looking at. Um, I think the chances are good. I had Cowboy Reed pull some stats, all right? You're looking at his schedule. He's got, s- how many, five right now? Or seven, seven right now in week five. He's got seven in week five. I was told you had Cowboy Reed pull some stats. Yeah, but this was a stat I didn't have him pull because I was supposed to know this. Seven sacks 
in five weeks, which doesn't surprise me. But with Aaron, there's always a chance at like a four sack game. Like seven and a half right now. Yep. Seven and a half. Okay, so literally the record is twenty two and a half, I believe. So he's got eleven weeks to get fifteen uh, to tie it. Uh, if my math checks out, you know how I am with math. He's he's got a good chance to get four the next two games. That's the way I look at it. Got to get four the next two games, and you're really in the driver's seat here. He's got San Francisco next, and Chicago right after. San Francisco is a bottom five team in sacks allowed, and he's had a four-sack game against them before. And I'm not even saying he has to get four next week, but if he does, if he gets three next week, he's really, really tracking that way. You remember a year or two ago he was ahead and then cooled off. I feel like this year he's going to be bearing down right on it. Again, San Francisco, Chicago, you can get a four-piece in those two games. He'll be 11.5 at the halfway point essentially, ahead of the halfway point. And this is good news for him. The Niners are terrible. He's got 11.5 on his career versus the Niners in 11 games. He gets them twice more, including one of the next two weeks. Chicago just lost a guard. That will put him, again, at 11, seven weeks into the season, 11.5. You get Seattle twice more. Their bottom 10 in sacks allowed. Russell is like a sack machine, very sackable guy. Aaron would agree. I mean, Aaron could put his own, like his highlight tape against Seattle is better than most, Pro Bowl players' career highlights. Like 12 for 12, 12 games against the Hawks, 12 sacks. Uh, Russell, again, great player, but you love playing against him because he's going to extend plays. And sometimes you don't see things so well, he'll run right into you. He's got the Jets left as well. That's a hat trick, unless my guy Joe Douglas comes down on the field and uh, throws a chicken wing in there. Uh, the dry spells could come against the Pats and the Cardinals. Pats don't give up a lot of sacks, neither do the Cardinals. The Cardinals obviously have a quarterback who's real athletic, and that's a different speed than a Russell Wilson, for sure. Um, Both tough targets, and then Tom Brady's going to get the ball out as well. So there's three games I worry about him. If he can register in all three of those games and get hot the next two weeks, I think he's got it. I really do. Um, Yeah. 80s teammate Jalen Ramsey, was he in the wrong? And you're talking about the hit. That's right. Absolutely not. He was not in the wrong. I I tweeted something about it. I didn't realize it spoke to so many people. Uh, I think there is a double standard when the league litigates this stuff. Listen, I understand it's a bang-bang play. I don't expect the the officials to see this, especially not expecting it. Kyle Allen would lower his head first. Um, I have no problem with the flag. People make mistakes. But if Jalen Ramsey gets fined for this, and if he takes any kind of heat beyond – what he did from a bunch of people who don't know what the fuck they're talking about yesterday. You'll cover the fine. I'm not going to cover the fine. You know what, Jalen Ramsey, if you get fined for this, I got 500. Nice. Greenlight Studios has 500 of this fine. Put me in for 20. $520, Jalen Ramsey. If you get fined for that bullshit, Jalen Ramsey has lowered his level and turned to the side to get his head out of it for some five, seven yards now because he's a great athlete. And Kyle Allen, last second, like spastically just lowers his head. It didn't make any sense. I mean, it it looked malicious to me. That's what we would say if it was a defender. But it's fucked up. I hope Kyle Allen's okay. It's football. It's a really physical game. I know he didn't mean to lower his head. But come on, guys. Also, Jalen Ramsey is a suplex guy. Like Jalen Ramsey is 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 a big hitter, but he's always going for that beautiful form tackle. You saw it on Golden Tate last week. 
right? Sweep the leg and just power bomb somebody. He's that athletic. So that's he's not like some dirty headhunter. Also, I would ask, is he so spectacular that it's just gotten boring as a football player? Like we should be pulling up tape on him like Aaron Donald. We should be pulling up tape on him like we do other players around the league. I just feel like sometimes we are numb to how good he is. And he wasn't wrong yesterday. He's got to be one of the most athletic guys in the league, pound for pound. Do the reigning NFC champ, San Francisco 49ers at 2-3, and three make the playoffs? They do not. We said it last week. They lose the game to Miami. They're not going to the playoffs. Also on our Greenlight Gambling Show, I gave out as uh, one of the three legs of our... Um, joint our, bank account. Yeah, joint bank account, which we almost hit. Our, our guy, J.B. Smoove, tricked it off with the Jets pick. Uh, I gave out Dolphins' money line, so this was not a surprise to me. What was a surprise is they got beat that bad at home by a team led by an NFL journeyman, the best NFL journeyman of all time, in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, they put up a 40 spot on that defense last year that we said was like, oh, for a while we were like, oh, it's like the Ravens. I mean, that's where people were going with it. The NFC West could still have three teams in the playoffs. Somebody is going to slide in that spot. You know, the NFC East is down. The NFC North is kind of top-heavy. And the NFC South has questions of its own. This could solidify seeing the Arizona Cardinals playing playoff football with Kyler Murray. And um, by the way, Jimmy got benched yesterday. Quietest benching in football history. What say you? Yeah, well, you do it at halftime. That helps. Yeah. And Shanahan says he clearly wasn't himself on that ankle and they were going to have to throw a lot. So he wanted to protect him. and Which and is plausible. Bethard. Very plausible. I, uh, he also was underperforming. So. Yeah, but it is plausible too. I mean, uh, I, I don't think Jimmy's a long-term answer. I don't know that a lot of people have thought that. I, again, thought last year was such a perfect storm and Jimmy did what he was asked to do. Uh, but he's not going to be able to he's not the type of player that's going to elevate a bad team. And right now they've really cratered. I, they're seeing the Rams, the Pats, the Seahawks, the Packers, the Saints, the Rams, and the Bills in their next seven. L's. Just a ball pit of L's. Can they win any of those games? They'll probably get one just... Just by virtue of showing up one day or somebody having a, a, a down day. Then they finish out the year with Washington, Dallas, Arizona, and Seattle. I don't see... I see three, four wins tops. Yep. That happens. Yeah. There's a Super Bowl hangover. Week five of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week six. There's no better place to get in on all the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week six, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to receive a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code GREENLIGHT when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's code GREENLIGHT to get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So uh, Mike Tannenbaum is about to join us. And again, this is a guy that I sat... Uh, with at Vivace of all places in Charlottesville on a Jets draft visit in 2008. Wow. It was almost a Jet. Um, I had Vivace not two nights ago. Yeah, nice place. Chicken Parm. Uh, chicken Parm is always good. That sounds good. I might have that tonight. 
Yeah. Go full circle, have Tannenbaum on the pod instead of eating with him. I get to think about what might have been. Could I have been a Big Apple superstar? He was born on Valentine's Day. Mike Tannenbaum was. Yeah. Nice. You could have a nice little date night with the chicken parm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, also his charity is uh, on the Green Light Monday hotline. The guest gets $500 donated to the charity of their choice. Uh, Last week, Cam Jordan did a New Orleans hurricane relief thing through the United Way. It's great. Greenlight's happy to help out there. We're going to help out uh, with Mike Tannenbaum's scholarship fund that he set up at UMass. So it's for people trying to get into the business of sports, uh, creating a lot of opportunities that way. Um, so shout out to Mike Tannenbaum doing good and Cam Jordan last week doing good as well. And we're happy to help. So let's get him on the hotline without further ado. So here's Mike. Uh, and I w- we were just reminiscing offline about, gosh, many years ago, uh, I was almost a jet. <laughs> I was almost a jet. And that would have been fun, man. I would have had fun up there, I think. Yeah, Chris, that was when I had more hair and less weight. And uh, you would have made me look smarter. You know, not that Vernon Golston, we had all the best of intentions. But, man, we fell in love with you. You would have been uh, perfect for us. Unfortunately, that one did not work out. But uh, I'll tell you what, and I told you this before, and I told you this to your dad, like, you know, your your family's name is synonymous with great playing and and really true royalty of football. But way more than that, like your folks are, are Hall of Fame parents, and They're to raise the, yeah. the type of children that you guys have turned out, the the, the you know the, the people, the parenting that you do now, it's really uh, it's inspiring. And you were raised the right way, and uh, Thanks, you brother. have so much to be proud of. Thanks, my brother. It's not. It's funny to be like removed from it and be looking at you on a Zoom call. It's just. It's just. Uh, time. Time moves fast, and uh, and now we're doing the media stuff. So I love watching you on TV. And I figured yesterday, when all this was going down, this was before the DAC injury, which was horrific, and we'll get to it in a second. Uh, it just hit me. I go, I want to get Mike on. He'd be my number one guest. This is like the perfect Mike Tannenbaum day. I mean, it's like. Uh, we have a couple firings, unfortunately. You've got a contract consideration with Dak. And, you know, there's multiple franchises uh, bearing down on maybe a number one pick in a situation with quarterbacks. So let's start with Dak. This is as bad a situation as I can remember on the tag. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, did you ever make a decision where you had to play hardball with a player and it backfired for the player? Um not that you've ever been in Jerry's shoes because this is bad, bad, but have you ever been in a situation like this? Yeah, I have. And I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't say it's hardball because I think the way I would describe it, Chris, is when you have the privilege of one of these jobs, you're really the point guard of information. And what I mean by that is you want to make sure that players feel like they're being taken care of fairly. And again, you're going to have a lot of disagreements, and I certainly did. Um, but we did have a couple of players that bet on themselves and got hurt and never made the money back. And I actually blamed their agents a couple of times, but I felt like their agents were just overreaching. And I think in this situation, Chris, what you need to do is if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm in that hospital like right now and saying, Hey, look, we are going to stand shoulder to shoulder and get this figured out. We'll figure out the contract for next year. Maybe we'll split the difference or I'll handle that with your agent. Don't worry about that, Dak, but you're going to be a cowboy for a long time. Let's get you healthy. Let's just pull the economics off the table. So Everything should be singular focused about getting you healthy and getting you ready for the future. 
And because he's under the franchise tag, he can't even sign until the end of the year anyway. So, but if I'm Dallas, I'm immediately relieving him of that burden. Right. Right. Um, how does this affect the market if it doesn't happen? I, I, I would still, and I'm, I got to get all the information from uh, the medical people I trust, but from, I take it this is an injury he can come back from and be 100%. He'd have to have a really good market. I mean, even coming off the injury, yeah? I would think so, Chris. Now, again, every injury is a little bit differently, yeah. and we're going to await word on it. But assuming he comes back now, as you know, Chris, there's another mechanism here called PUP, which is, hey, Let's just put you down for the first six weeks, give you even more time to rehab. So there's a lot to play out over the next 12 months. But when you look at supply and demand, I mean, there's just so many teams like, you know, you could talk about the Jets, you could talk about Denver, you could talk about maybe even now like San Francisco, Detroit, maybe where there's a number of teams I'll be looking for quarterbacks, Jacksonville. And Dak Prescott is somebody that up until yesterday has been incredibly durable, 42 wins as a starter. He's high character. He's won planes. He's checked every box. I've said for the last few years, it's beyond me that they didn't sign him first. He should have been signed first, second, and third, and then you figure out everybody else. I agree. Um, and I wonder where his head's at. It's so hard for him, I'm sure, to even digest the entire timeline and what might lie ahead. But uh, if if he does end up on the market, I, I had Mike Golick on over the summer, and he made a bold prediction that, Cam might not be in New England next year um, for various reasons. And he thought maybe he might end up down in Dallas. Now, this is pretty wild to speculate it at this point, but do you think Cam is in New England next year, period? I, I do, and, and here's why. I think it's been a really good fit. And just think, like, with an off-season program, Chris, like, they could really build on and make that offense even more difficult to defend You know, when you get into the – and Chris, you know, as a defense player, like RPOs, I mean, oh. they are really hard to defend yeah. when the quarterback can be plays with feet. Now, what I would say is it's probably going to have to be at the right price, and maybe there's that sort of like mid-tier market now, which is in the upper 20s or low 30s. But if I'm New England, I'm re-signing Cam, and maybe I'm drafting another one. Hoyer's not the answer. Stidham, the grade is incomplete, but I'm certainly trying to keep Cam because when Cam's out there, they have a real chance to win. Yeah, it, it surprised me over the first month of the season. I had heard some talk out of there that maybe he didn't look as good throwing the ball down the field, like maybe the arm was a consideration. And this was from, like, sources in the building. And then you saw in that Seattle game, it was like there was this epiphany that, hey, I know that they say that the real season starts in October and you might want to hold that you know, that strength and developing that aspect of your offense's game, but they had to play catch up. And that's what New England doesn't want to do this year. He looked really good throwing the ball down the field. I've been surprised at how healthy he looks. I think he'd go another four or five years and it could be there. You're right. At the right price, I could see him being the perfect. It's funny because you know, Bill, nobody would have guessed this would be a Bill marriage, but that's how Bill is. Like this is, Bill respects people you would never guess that he would respect. Bill covets players that you would never guess that he would covet so i think this is going to be an interesting uh situation come february and march cam newton by all counts loves football and i'll tell you something that was really interesting to me that was subtle but i think there's some interesting comparisons here if you heard ron rivera talk about two weeks ago he said you know i'll live with Dwayne haskins in the growing pains the way i live with cam newton the growing pains because i think people saw cam newton have tremendous football character and showed up early and was a guy that was there were bumps in the road but kept getting better and when haskins got benched and was the third string not second string 
With that said, like, I'm a big believer, Chris, and communication isn't what's said, it's what's heard. And what I heard Ron Rivera say was, this guy's not cutting it off the field because two weeks ago he talked about, hey, Cam Newton bumps in the road but getting better. Now all of a sudden Dwayne Haskins bumps in the road third string. Yeah, it, it, it felt like there's something in the building that we're not privy to seeing that's going on. And it might not be like there was a big blow up or – you know, this, that, and the third. It's just one of those things that when you're not their guy, and I've been in that situation, I talked about it on the pod last week, I got benched at the beginning of my second year, Spags came in, and I was a slow starter, but, you know, I wasn't Spags's guy, and I don't blame him looking back. Now, eventually, I, I, I was inserted back in the lineup pretty quickly, but it's one of those things that when your head coach gets fired, and by the way, Gruden wasn't even, uh, you know, uh, a Haskins guy, this is the owner's pick, you're kind of floating, and so you have to be perfect. You really do, and it sounds like from a preparation standpoint, he was far from perfect. Now, do you think there is a value there in the trade market and that that's what they're doing by letting that last Baltimore performance, which was relatively good compared to what he's shown in the past, do you think that there's an opportunity for him to, to have some value in the market with that being yeah. the last game? Yeah, I think so from a standpoint that you know someone's going to say, hey, a lot of upside, successful at Ohio State, Let's take a flyer on him. You know, Josh Rosen was traded from Arizona, Miami for a second round pick. Um, and, and people have certainly brought that up too, like with Sam Darnold. I think there is some value for those players. Maybe not what it once was or should be, but yeah, there is some value there for sure. Yeah. Back to Dallas for one second before we get into the, uh, the, the firings this past week. Do you think we can accurately evaluate Mike McCarthy at this point? I don't think so. I, I, I think in fairness, you know, it were what – Five games through a season where there was no off-season program, no OTAs, no preseason games or scrimmages. So I think it's a work in progress. I, I would say I'm, I'm disappointed by the lack of effort on defense like everybody else. I yeah. think that's been pretty well documented. But you just can't let another team run for 300 yards. Like, that's not acceptable Ooh, in that pop tape, That tape hurt me physically. I mean, as a former player, I'm like, I know exactly. Unfortunately, I know how that feels. I just feel like they're from a scheme standpoint, the personnel doesn't fit the scheme, in my opinion. When I watch that D line, are you an attacking front or are you a read front? I don't know what it is, and the effort's a problem too. I think they miss Van Der Esch as well. But even going forward, Mike McCarthy without Dak is hard to evaluate. Yeah, but you know what? Like there are no excuses, and you know there's a lot of other weapons. And hey, if you want to be a great coach, then you know, win with what you have. And they did yeah. that yesterday to McCarthy's credit. And now they're sitting in first place. And I got to tell you this, given Philadelphia's injuries, Chris, an Andy Dalton led Dallas Cowboy team very well may still be the favorite in the uh, NFC East this year. I think until Philly, and I love those guys, but until they, they're healthier and they show us more and Carson plays better, I can't say with certainty that this is like, you know, okay, hey, it's yours. Uh, Andy Dalton's still a very experienced quarterback who's had moments uh, and got Cincinnati to the playoffs a bunch. He looked pretty comfortable sliding in there yesterday, so I think they could make a little run here, especially because the NFC East is cratered. Okay, we had the, the big news being Dan Quinn, who's a friend of yours, I know, and I like Dan a lot, uh, and all his players love him. That's so apparent. But with the 1-6 start, with the 1-7 start, the comebacks, that sort of thing, it was probably time. We also have Bill O'Brien recently. Um, most important task each place if you're the GM, uh, and which job would you rather have? Yeah, those are great questions. Yeah, uh, Dan's a, a dear friend, and I, I think he deserved a better situation in terms of 
some of the secondary shortcomings. It was really hard for for anyone to be successful there, you know, in the end, given what they were dealing with. But, you know, I would say this, like in Atlanta, it really starts with how do I maximize, you know, these incredible weapons I have? Because when you look at the cap, if the cap goes down, Chris, you're still going to have Julio and Ridley. Um, that's going to be, you're going to have to outscore player uh, teams because your best players are on that side of the ball. So to rebuild that defense, it's going to come through the draft. So I would go with an offensive coach that could be explosive. Now, ironically, I like Dirk Cutter a lot. Um, he's their offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, and then Houston, I say similar from this standpoint, like Deshaun Watson's their future. I think they made some really bad decisions, you know, just in terms of when you move on from DeAndre Hopkins, if you make that decision, you know, go maximize that value and get multiple first round picks the way Minnesota did with Stefan Diggs. They inherited an average player in David Johnson and a bad contract. So I think that's a longer term rebuild. I do like Watson, obviously, in terms of he's a guy that can make all the throws, make plays with his feet. I think short term Atlanta is a little bit more appealing to me. Right. I think with Houston, you're going to need a lot of patience. Yeah, you, you are going to have to be patient because you could walk in and, and your first draft is you're not going to have a pick until the third round, right? And, you know, Bill kind of burnt draft capital. And then in, in in Atlanta, one positive is even if you don't love Matt Ryan long term, he is longer in the tooth and all that, he's immovable for like a year, right? I mean, after this year, you might be able to get out of that situation. I guess that begs the question does Matt finish his career as a Falcon or is that just impossible to speculate with whoever's coming in? Yeah. I just, I've been around it too much, Chris. Uh, I had Jay Cutler in Miami and Brett Favre at the jets. And mm -hmm. nowadays it just doesn't seem like that happens. You know, we're seeing obviously, you know, Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. So at some point I could see them trying to draft his replacement. Now, um, unlike Houston, Atlanta does have their first round pick. Maybe that comes into the conversation. I think there's going to be a couple of guys, Trey Lance from North Dakota state, Justin Fields. So once you even get past Trevor Lawrence, yeah. there'll still be a number of first round picks. So is anybody besides Joe Burrow safe down in that bottom tier as far as Trevor Lawrence is concerned? Because I bet all those quarterbacks are having nightmares of that that blonde mane of his running down the field and making <laughs> like like I just figure in today's day and age where no quarterback's safe, you know, you gotta be thinking about it. Yeah, and that's such a fair point. And I think we saw that going back to Josh Rosen, you know, top 10 pick Cliff Kingsbury comes in, right. they draft Kyle Murray. And now you look at even Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, mm -hmm. Daniel Jones, all three of those quarterbacks were inherited by new coaches. So if they don't play well, and right now I would tell you, I think Cleveland's winning despite Baker Mayfield, not because of it. I, I think all, all those quarterbacks could be in play, Chris, at some point. Absolutely. I mean, Cleveland's going to probably play themselves out of that thing. Cause that team's so talented, but you're right. I, and Baker, can flash really good with the arm, but they got to move him out of the pocket and use play action so much. You look at his numbers inside the pocket. We talked about this last week. Even with the Dallas game taken into account, they're so pedestrian, just dropping back and throwing the ball. So nobody's safe, indeed. Uh, what's the Rich McKay situation in Atlanta like? I mean, is that a consideration for a GM? Yeah, you know, Rich has had, you know, obviously a long career there. He does a lot with the competition committee. Uh, my sense of it, and I don't know, Chris, is they would probably bring in a GM and a head coach. You know, I, obviously Rich is a lot closer to the end of his career than the beginning. So right. I would think they're looking for, you know, multiple positions of leadership. Houston, um, my guy, Jack Easterby, who was the chaplain in New England. I used to eat breakfast with him. I mean, 
I, I, I forgot where he was, and then I read an article last week that he's going to be in on the decision-making on these next hires. And what's his title exactly in Houston? Yeah, I'm not even sure what it is right now, but yeah, he has a big seat at the table. There's no doubt about that. And uh, it's really remarkable that he somehow got to Houston with Coach O'Brien, and now he's like the last guy standing. Is there any consideration? I'm, I'm sure people I floated it last week. It's... It's one of those things that the story might sound cooler than it than it is in practice. Dabo, friends with Jack. I know that from from getting to know Jack Easterby and his roots in South Carolina. Uh, and then the Deshaun piece of it. I know Eric Bieniemy is the hot name right now, and and I might not hire Dabo because I'm afraid of college coaches, quite frankly. Um, but do you think Dabo looks hard at this if if uh, he gets a phone call? I think at some point, if I could, if I'm him and I could either go with Deshaun or Trevor Lawrence, I guess strongly consider because at some point you're going to say, there's nothing else I could do at Clemson. I've maxed it out. Like he's done a historically great job there. I mean, when you think about the ACC now, it's used to be UVA, UNC, Florida state. Now it's Clemson and draw a line. And um, he really has done a remarkable job. So if I'm him, I go out on top, and if I can get one of those two quarterbacks, I got to strongly consider it. So who do you like in the head coach uh, hunt in these two spots? So a couple names that come to mind. You look at Tampa Bay. I actually like guys on both sides of the ball there. You know, Todd Bowles, you look at the job he did at the Jets. Every day that looks better and better given you know the track record <laughs> yeah. since he's left, right? Yeah. And Byron Left, which is a you know younger coach that I know you've uh, played against, Chris, and mm-hmm. you know a lot of leadership, a lot of intangibles. And I think if Tampa Bay has this run that I think a lot of people believe they will, I think those are two names that will be at the top of the list. You mentioned Eric Bieniemy, Josh McDaniels. Obviously, will be in the mix yeah. um, for obvious reasons. So th- those are to me if some of the names that come to mind. You wonder though if they're scared straight and they're like, uh, we'll just take one break for a second from New England guys. We just had Bill, but Josh isn't exactly. I don't think of Josh and you know this from knowing the, all those guys. Like Josh isn't a cookie cutter New England guy. Like he's 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 really kind of gone down his own path in my opinion. So I don't think you're getting like the overkill on the cultural infusion if he comes down there. Yeah, I think he's his own guy, yeah. and I think he'll bring. Hopefully, he'll bring a lot of learnings for what he had. You know, in Denver, you know, he spent a year with Spags in, in uh, St. Louis. And yeah. I think I think he is his own guy. How hard is that for New England guys to, like, forge their own path? Because, you know, it's been a mixed bag, and it does seem like sometimes it's you, you overly contrive the I want to be Bill thing. Like, how do you walk that line? I think, and Chris, you know this as a foreign player, to me it comes back to really a couple of very fundamental principles authenticity and leadership you have to be able to lead men and they have to believe in you not like your resume not what you did here or there like are you giving them a plan each week to be successful and i work with you know coach bangini early in his career and eric was like a little bit of an under the radar guy but players gravitated to him because they felt like he gave them the answers to the test you know rex was more of this extroverted bombastic guy that really gave the team confidence so there's more than one way to get there but at the end of the day it has to be about can they lead men and can each week, can he put together a plan that gives them a reasonable chance to be successful? Yeah. Can you be influenced by your, you know, the coaches you coached under before without being them, be yourself, but you know, cause a room full of grown men, you can't fool them. You have to be you. I mean, that's the, 
they try to get away with it on a regular basis, but coaches have to be themselves. Does this speed up the process for other teams? You know, like you've got now two vacancies where behind the scenes, I don't know what's going on, but you're definitely, the wheels are turning if you're the Jets, if you're the Lions, if you're any other number of teams. It seems like there's a lot of bad teams this year. Are you like, man, we got to make our moves quicker now? I think there is a little bit of an arms race when you start thinking like, well, we're going to be, you know, is this spot going to open or is this spot going to open? So there is a little bit of that angst involved. Um, and, you know, I, I saw people say, Chris, in the preseason, like, oh, you know, coach uh, owners, like this team's going to be safe. That team's going to be safe because of the pandemic. And, you know, we're just seeing like the great NFL machinery just keeps oh, yeah. chugging along and it's going to chew up people and spit them out. And, you know, we've already seen two and I hate speculating about other people's jobs, but, you know, in all likelihood, we'll see at least a couple more before the end of the season. And we could be looking at, you know, 25% of the league turning over by the end of the year. Yeah, it's wild. And what is the kind of frenzy going on behind closed doors right now? I mean, like, I know there are rules. Uh, I texted Billy Devaney the other day to try to get an idea of this, but he was like speaking French to me. You've been in these situations. What's happening right now in these buildings that they're allowed to do? So I've been in, in a few of them. You know, we, we had an interim coach with Dan Campbell replacing Joe Philbin a number of years ago. And basically what we did is um, we told Coach Campbell, hey, you're going to have a real chance at this job, but we're going to start a search. Um, so you could do it, you know, that way with an interim coach or if it's a coach that you may have to make a change. Like one of the things you have to do as a, a front office person, Chris, is your video guy can leave the next day. Your defensive end could get hurt. Your head coach may not be there next year for a lot of reasons. So you have to constantly be thinking about what are the challenges three months from now, six months from now, and preparing. And when it comes to the coach, you're having very intimate and confidential conversations with your owner, which is basically, hey, we don't want to make a change. We hope we don't have to. But if we do, here's what I'm thinking about now. And you want to just stay ahead of that story. Who's, I mean, I know you don't like to speculate, but let's say you're in a situation like the Kirk Cousins situation. And I know Mike's, there's maybe a little heat on Mike. How would you, like, that's got to be a first time head coach, right? In a situation like that. If you have a quarterback situation like Kirk Cousins, unless you're in love with him. And I like Kirk, but I don't love Kirk. And I think that's the problem. Who takes a job like that? A first timer, right? It's got to be. Yeah, I, there, you know what's interesting about that situation? The cover's not bare. You know, they're very young in the secondary. I think they're going to keep getting better. Uh, I like Gladney. Um, I thought they had a good draft. I like Jefferson, you know, on the other side of the ball. Oh, yeah. So, so the, the, the challenge you have there is you're going into a division. And look, I was with the Jets and the Dolphins for a while, Chris, which is it's going to be a long time until we're better than Green Bay. I, that's just the reality of it. Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere. So I think – I agree. You probably want to go with a younger guy there that can grow with a nucleus. How did Bill O'Brien have the time in the day to do both those things? I, that, I think too often we, we digest it as, oh, he wasn't good at both, and that was his downfall. Because he, okay, he was just fine as a coach, in my opinion. He's a pretty good coach. The GM stuff is, in my opinion, what got him fired. Okay, so how do you have physically logistically the time in the day to do both like what is he how does he pull that off how did bill parcells yeah. pull it off yeah I, I was fortunate i was around bill to see it yeah. and basically there was a couple of people like scott pioli myself like our job was to go in there like here's what you need to know 
and you're making the decision, but we're going to tee it up for you. And I agree. I think Bill O'Brien, the GM, got Bill O'Brien, the head coach, fired because he had a yeah. solid record as a head coach, Chris. But some of those moves were, were catastrophically bad or trading for Laramie Tunsil and not giving him an extension and just giving him massive leverage. Like, I'm not going to be a play caller, but I've worked really hard at my craft and hopefully gotten better over the years by just refining my – like, you were a better defense lineman your eighth and ninth year in the league because – experience yeah. and he got better at it for him to do both jobs unless you really have great people around you that can distill a lot of information where you're just making the decision it's really hard and i don't think um at the end of the day like his performance as a gm got him fired so i don't think he had the time to do it right well he can always say the gm fucked it up i you know <laughs> it's like uh you could always say it's somebody else's fault when you're doing both i got um i got one more question before i let you go again thanks for the time uh New ownership, per se, in Detroit. Uh, I know our guy's up there. My guy, Matty P, is up there. He's on the hot seat and all that. What does it mean? Because you went through it in 2000, and you weren't the GM yet, uh, but you were in New York, right, when Woody uh, came on. What's that like when there's a changing of the guard in the building? And does this change things for Matt? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. Absolutely. And... What's really important is communication. Like, again, I, I go back to something very fundamental, which is when you communicate, you have to understand how the other person receives information. So if you have a new owner, and by the way, I would have bet the house that Matty P would be a good head coach. Cause I, I think he really checks every box. He has to work really hard at that. And that's a big part of his job. He has to understand that with the new owner, how does she like to uh, consume her information? Does she want to text once a day? Does mm -hmm. she want an email? Does she want to zoom? Does she want to zoom on a Monday and a Friday? What's the cadence? And you, you know, we're in a multi-billion dollar industry, but at the end of the day, Chris, it's 32 family offices and each office is dealt with differently and how the Hess family and the Johnson family or Steve Ross, my uh, career communicated was immensely different. And that's part of your responsibility is to understand that. And, you know, Chris, you may be a texter. I may be a texter but your owner may not text. So right. you got to figure out what they want. You know, it may be a face-to-face -face meeting. You know, I've had an owner that wanted to have lunch more than one day a week. I've had certain owners that wanted me to call at certain times of the day. And there's no right or wrong answer, but you have to understand, you know, the game that you're being, you know, put into in terms of like every game, the rules are a little bit different. And you can't say like, well, this is what's good for me because one of your jobs as a head coach or GM is you are serving the owner and how they want to be served is really important. Absolutely. It's got to, I mean, it's, uh, it's more of a difference than people know, I'm sure. I mean, you know, owner to owner. That's right. Um, thanks so much for the time. I hear the film noise firing up. So you go, go <laughs> hey, I know that, I know that noise. Hey, Mike's I got, I got it right here, Chris. Mike's on his right film. Hey, you got that. that. I missed that. I got an Xbox controller that works my, my little setup, but I missed the real thing. The XOs, are you on the XOs or are you on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a little bit of both. I do the game pass with the, you yeah. know, all 22 and, so use my thumbs, but um, <laughs> hey, you know we gotta stay on top of things, right? Yeah, you're the man. That's the and the people can tell when they watch you on the tube. You're one of the best at, uh, at, at giving us real information about what's going on behind the scenes. So, Mike, really appreciate the time. It's great to see you again. Yeah, Chris, you too, and uh, please say uh, send my best to your folks. And again, a great uh, congratulations on your career. And uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for you and your family. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate you. Have a great day. Okay, Chris. Okay, take care. Hey guys, quick uh, quick announcement here.
listen, we've been doing this annual foundation event, which has been awesome. Shout out to King Family Vineyards here in Charlottesville, which is a, a beautiful, perfect place run by great people, the King Family, uh, aptly named King Family Vineyards. This year, we got to take it virtual for obvious reasons. We're hosting the Chris Long Foundation's Wheels, Wine, and Wonder event virtually uh, on Saturday, October 17th at 11 a.m. And my guy right here, Macon, is co-hosting. Looking forward to it. That's what friends are for. Uh, honored, honored, honored. I'm honored to have to be you a part of it. with me uh, Saturday, October 17th, 11 a.m. Great thing about doing this event virtually is it's open to anybody. Uh, wherever you can join us, we'll have special celebrity guests like Sacramento King shooting guard and national champion Kyle Guy, my former teammate James Laronitis, uh, viewing of a short, powerful documentary about the clean water crisis and chances to win Waterboys merchandise during live games. We're also holding an auction the week leading up to the event. Don't miss your chance to bid on autographed sports memorabilia, overnight getaways, and a chance to visit the Greenlight Podcast Studio. Wow. Yeah. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. Maybe you could bring a mop with you. Oh, the floors are dirty. Uh, all proceeds go towards domestic and international clean water projects. Our thanks to our title sponsor for the event, WorldServe International. World, WorldServe has been our implementing partner for international water projects since Waterboys began in 2015. To check out our online auction, go to waterboys.org slash auctions and go to waterboys.org slash events for more information on the event and to purchase tickets. Um, also, Aaron Donald's going to do a personal video for uh, one of the auction items. So you could have Aaron Donald delivering you a personalized message that you don't have to pay for, like Cameo. Uh, it just goes to a good cause. Hey, a lot of bad in the world. This is awesome. What you do is awesome. What the foundation does is awesome. And uh, this is a nice way for everybody to participate, have a have a hand, and doing a lot of good. Well, appreciate y'all, and I appreciate my co-host uh, again Saturday, October 17th, 11 a.m. Check us out. Let's go to Superlative, shall we? We shall. Best worst plane ride. What say you? Best plane ride for me is the Carolina Panthers. I think there is no better feeling than thinking you might have something. It's even better than having something. Thinking you might have something. It's exciting. And there's no better flight than a short flight. That's probably 35, 40 minutes, Atlanta yeah. to Charlotte, North Carolina. That's not even enough time for the for the beverage cart. To you come can't down even the get aisle. some peanuts, which is a beautiful feeling. I hate the beverage cart. Oh. It's like We get it. Okay, like, ma'am, I get it. Like you're you're rolling the beverage. Maybe somebody wants some Canada dry. Could you not? bang my mm. leg with mm -hmm. the cart like they will bang your leg maliciously with that motherfucker yeah a lot of tomato juice i'm six foot four okay my, well. my knee might or six three and a half <laughs> my knee might be but this is really a, a a leg thickness issue you might not relate and i'm not being funny like my legs are in the aisle yeah i usually have a some part of a foot out there yeah because I am, I am 6'4". Also, don't give me shit when I ask for my third tiny bag of pretzels. I'm hungry. Okay, I can't, I just ate lunch at Hudson News. I just want to be oblivious to the fact that we still have 90 minutes plus left in this flight. Don't show me the beverage cart. We're, we just came from the airport. Bring what your if drink I got to pee? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's, it. 
Panthers beat the Falcons. Panthers Panthers get the Falcons coach fired, and you, they're three and two. You got something there as far as it's better to think you might have something to have something because once you have something, it's like, well, what do you do with it? Then their expectations. When you think you have something, it's like, yeah, we might hey, fucking have something here. This could be all right. Yeah, and I do think they have something, uh, but I don't know if they're like a team that's going to buy for a playoff spot play loose you never know yep. we talk about that that new wild card spot that might be opening up due to the san francisco uh upheaval um maybe they're thinking hmm. 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 um i'll go i'll go raiders um there was a there was a monkey on on cars back when it came to beating the chiefs it just i think he, mahomes has just owned them Going in the game, we talked about Josh Jacobs, seven yards a pop last year. Ride Josh Jacobs, play keep away, but they slugged it out with him. Like, they really did. And there were times where Josh Jacobs came into play in four-minute mode. It's like the guy falls forward for three yards. He's the worst guy you want to face in four-minute mode. The Raiders aired it out. Ruggs was back. Trent Brown was back. Those are big deals. Like, And it shows you what that vertical threat can do to a guy who's come to be synonymous with checking the ball down uh, serially. Uh, Ruggs had a 46-yard catch in the first that led to points, and then the 72-yard touchdown in the third that illustrates what Carr's been missing. Halftime adjustments were, were big for Las Vegas. They held the Chiefs to eight points after the half. Like, I mean, they damn near hit the over in the first half. They might have, uh, and then it just grinded to a halt. So... The game ended when Gruden opted to go for it on fourth and one, up eight with two minutes left after Mahomes got eight with four minutes to go, and it was the right call. Again, short flight to Vegas, akin to you know what you've talked about with the Panthers, and it's the biggest party these guys can hit because when you go back to Vegas, it's tantalizingly close, but there's this thing called a pandemic, I would hope, that's keeping you off the streets. Worst plane ride? Can I do... Can I do the heat here? Oh, that's intriguing. <laughs> Is it intriguing? Orlando to Miami. And you stayed as long as possible in the bubble and you didn't come on didn't Dude, come on with hardware. It's so bad because when you talk about I remember Rob Ninkovich saying this. I've always remembered it. When we were sitting there getting ready for the Super Bowl and doing this, like there's no worse feeling than losing a Super Bowl and you might as well not be there. You might as well go 0 and sixteen. And I had done that sort of thing before. I'm glad I never got to feel the second one. Now, basketball is less physical than football, but that was a grind that they just went through. All their series were were tough ones. Um, they were competitive, and Jimmy Buckets played a lot of minutes. He should have been a shouts out. I mean, that guy is just an absolute uh, hero for his performance this, this postseason. He's a Tyler hero. Yeah, t- call him Tyler hero. He was a Duncan Robinson Tyler he was, hero. Yeah, uh-huh. And you like the role players there. They're fun. It's a really fun team. Even without the Dragon, they went toe-to-toe with those cats for a while. But you got to wonder, like, what happens when they say, you can go now? Like, what do you have to do? Like, what's that entail? Did Were, were these guys' bags packed? I'm not saying they didn't think they were going to win, but you might as well have your bag packed just in case you can get the fuck out of there quick. I know you're thinking NBA players, where are they going? They going to Vegas? Well, there's nowhere to party. Like, this is the worst part. You've been in Disney World behind that red and white diagonal striped gate 
that comes down on your car at the toll booth, they've been behind that imaginary boundary for what feels like six years now just to lose in the finals and not get swept, play six, be competitive, only to have the damn break last night. Um, Also, if you're booking a PJ, private jet, that happens ahead of time. So you can't even book a PJ and be like, hey, I got to have it ready for game six just in case we lose because that says you're thinking about losing. Luckily for them, saving grace, maybe they're just party busing down to Orlando. I wonder if they even slept in the bubble last night. My worst plane ride, the Minnesota Vikings. You're wet. You hit the showers. Yeah. Go back outside, get more wet. Yeah. Your suit's wet. Your it's, bags are wet. It's late. You uh, you lost. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have lost. No. And um, you're going back to, uh, I don't know. Minneapolis. We've had some good times there. I love Minneapolis. Yeah, natty. But little, uh, little on the chillier side. And but uh, <laughs> point being, should have won the football game. Now you're one and four, and you're wet, and it's late. Yeah, and you probably still feel wet. You know, we're recording midday on Monday. Like you still feel wet. Yeah. At this point, I mean, it just does that Seattle cold chill doesn't quite get off you for 24 hours, even if you've dried off. And then when you get to the bus, it's the worst. The bus driver always says, here, I'll take that bag and just assaults <laughs> that motherfucker. Might drop it in a puddle outside CenturyLink. He's going to throw it in there. Like, you got a laptop in there. You hear it clunk. It's always the worst after a loss. You say I can be like Larry David. That might be an instance where I am. It, it is the bag. Oh, hey, I got that for you. And then I say, actually, I uh, got it. would you mind if I placed it mm-hmm. under the bus? And then the bus driver takes offense and yeah, it's a whole it's, big thing. And then yeah. he's looking out for it on the way. Once you arrive, he's going to try to. Mm-hmm. He wants to show you that he can handle the bag. handle it. Yeah. yeah. Don't let him handle the bag. So what's it like being a ghost? Ghost or dead. I'm very much alive. Hollow Man Award this week. I hate to do it, but Brian Allen, first game since October of 2018 or actually I don't know what month it is I have that written down I'm not sure I can say that with certainty he is a DB for the San Francisco 49ers who keep coming up for all the wrong reasons of Fitzy's first 168 yards 124 were on Brian Allen he gave him 47 a 28 a horse collar an 8 yard catch a 19 yard catch a PI for first and oh that set up a first and goal and a 22 yard touchdown pass the NFL is hard, man. Like, Brian Alley didn't ask for this shit. He did not ask for this shit. And he replaced, uh, he was replaced by Akello Witherspoon, who wasn't even supposed to get time. He'd missed two games with a hamstring, and they were just like, hey, sorry about your hamstring, but we got to stop the bleeding here. Get out there. Uh, yeah. Brian Allen, hollow man. AJ Green could be hollow man, too, though, for asking to be traded on national television. Who's the winner of your St. Louis Rams Memorial Award this week? Uh, it's going to be Todd Gurley, aptly. Todd Gurley, originally a member of the St. Louis Rams. He goes 14 for 121, one touchdown, four catches for 29, 75 touchdowns before his 27th birthday. That puts him in elite company. Jim Brown, Emmett Smith, LT, and Randy Moss. Okay, those guys are all Hall of Famers. The knees look pretty good right now, but like what a strange career for my guy. I mean, it's just, you think about comps, it's really hard. 
it looks like he's going to get a second act, which I'm so excited about for him. And we'll see what happens with the coach. But I, I was thinking about comparisons. Terrell Davis, Sean Alexander, second mention in the pod. They burnt hot and they were gone. Okay. I think Todd has a second act. Maybe more Priest Holmes. Mm. Uh, Le'Veon Bell could be like a junior Todd Gurley. Except he hasn't found his second act yet. Todd Gurley, what a ride it's been. Uh, and I hope it just continues and continues. The guy is one of my favorites. And uh, I know everybody that's played for him is excited for him. Seeing him tear it up even on a bad football team down there in Atlanta a little bit. And that obscurity piece is what makes it the St. Louis Rams Memorial Award. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, he's good five. in these spots. Speaking of uh, winless teams with dudes balling out, Darius Slayton gets my nod, best receiver you've never heard of. Goes for 129 yesterday on eight catches, 13th in the league in receiving yards, fifth round pick out of War Eagle Auburn Tigers in mm -hmm. 2019. Nice player. Very good player. Nice player. But uh, nobody's watching. Uh, nah. Sucks. Sucks for him. Um, he might be like the new Allen Robinson one day, I bet. Yeah, maybe like so. Like where people are like, guy's awesome. Guy's awesome. Nobody's ever been throwing him good balls. Nothing against Danny Dimes. I mean, and a little bit against Danny Dimes. Danny Dimes throws some good balls. He just doesn't take care of the football. Yeah. Which is part of throwing the good ball at times. Uh, the, the it eye test? Yeah. I don't know if the guy's got it. That's coming from a Giants fan. A lot of, a lot of, and I mean this in the worst way because I love this guy, a lot of Eli in that, in that facial. In the face. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking Eli right in the face when you look yeah. at Danny Dimes. Yep. Yeah, and there's no OC, Strahan, Tuck, Fred Robbins. Uh, they're not walking through the door anytime soon. Nah. Tiki, Saquon, though. Get him back next year healthy. Somebody's going to enjoy him. I don't know if it's going to be Danny. You want to do fly on the wall? Yeah, I think it should just be you because yours is brilliant. Yeah, I think being in the scheduling meetings for the NFL has got to be, I would love to know what's going on in those meetings right now. You can't push this thing anymore. They don't have a plan as it is. I think that's one of the biggest things that I could read the frustration in Devin's quote uh, was like, listen, we, we haven't heard, like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And if the NFL as players, if the NFL hasn't delivered a contingency plan to you to keep in mind or like, hey, prep for this, we might do this, that means one of two things. They don't have a plan, which is a problem, and they haven't let players in, which is a problem. If you're thinking at some point the NFL is going to bubble, that would be something they should tell players, right? They haven't done that because I talked to a bunch of NFL players. I would have heard about it. Doesn't seem like they've told anybody. They don't have a plan as it as is, and the next incident could really yield some more extreme measures. I really do believe that. We've had two outbreaks to this point, really. Last week, you know, we saw eight games moved involving eight teams, mostly because one team can't keep it the fuck together. And I think the scariest part, if you look at it, about monitoring this New England situation and their facility is shut for two more days. They haven't had a positive today, which is good news. But as we know, that doesn't necessarily mean much. Um, evidently, the Titans just had a coach test positive uh, who had been quarantining for 12 days and tested positive again. So, like, the Pats aren't in the clear yet. And when you look at these two outbreaks, I think the most interesting part is the dichotomy between the two franchises. 
and how we would guess they would handle these instances, which makes the Patriots outbreak not just the second outbreak and compounding the whole scheduling thing, but also a barometer for where we go from here and what the rest of the season looks like because there's only going to be more cases. I hate to be a pessimist. The Titans are essentially the, the, the dick-off guy in the back of the classroom that's not taking notes and talking during class and you know, just the problem kid. You know, they had their chance. They totally fucked it up. They left their contact tracers behind. They, they organized the Montgomery Bell Academy workout, um, which who knows what that did to, you know, spreading the virus. Uh, their incubation period has been so stretched out. It feels like forever since they played football. They obviously are more the class clowns. They're the, they're the guys that you're like, well, it's no surprise. If you handle it this way, it's going to go this way. Okay, we know that. But what about the val- valedictorians, like the, the group that we knew coming into the season for a number of reasons? Foxborough is safer than a big city. There's nothing there. Um, you've got Bill Belichick. You've got that leadership. You've got the fear of God in you as a player. You've had a, a roster that seems really intelligent and conscious. They've opted out. A number of guys have. They're not going to have an outbreak. And if they do... You could probably look to that anecdote and extrapolate what's going to happen the rest of the year because nobody's going to handle it better than the Patriots. Now, Cam Newton fucked it up by going to the Braintree Mall, which was a bad move. And players have to own this too. But it's not just players. The Titans had, you know, a coach start it, and we're still dealing with staff members and coaches. But if the Patriots can't get this thing under control, and even if it's no fault of their own, and this thing lags out for them, the league's going to look at this and say, and I think we should look at this and say, this is a major red flag. It's not just the compounding of the scheduling. It's also the best and the brightest can't contain this thing. And that would be really, really bad. So I'm wondering in meetings what the contingency plans are and looking at this Patriots real-time experiment unfold before our eyes, what it's going to mean coming out of it. Also, it's interesting that we're learning so much about COVID in real time through the NFL as a society because we've heard so much conflicting and developing information. Of course, it's a novel virus, which is part of the reason you exercise extra caution no matter what. Like we're seeing Gilmore and Mahomes hug at midfield and you're saying, surely they're gonna transmit COVID to each other. Well, maybe that's not the case, viral load and such. Well, you know, what's gonna happen in a locker room with when one guy gets it? We are acquiring like data right now in a really unofficial way. And that's interesting. The Gilmore Mahomes hug has to be the most looked at COVID situation outside of the Rose Garden on national TV. Like you're seeing it. You know one of those guys has COVID. And Mahomes so far so good. So you're learning about this stuff uh, as, as it goes, not just in the football setting, but also in real life. For sure. Does a, does a droplet exit Gilmore's mouth and hit Mahomes in the temple as opposed to the corner of the mouth. I'm thinking the saving grace might be that Gilmore just played a hell of a ball game and he's tired and he's dehydrated, not a lot of moisture in the mouth. So maybe, yeah, less viral load. Well, speaking of, I'm willing this week, okay, let me ask you this. Is there a world in which this season has just stopped? I don't think they'll, I think it'll pause. I don't think they'll ever stop the season unless, unless the country is in peril. Like unless society at large is, and the country is in peril, so ironically, we're playing through that. If we unlock the next level of just chaos in America, maybe they'll have to stop. 
but I think they're hell bent on getting this th- thing done. I think we could see a pause. I think we could see a bubble for the playoffs. I don't know what we're calling this, but I'm going to cancel the uh, post-game handshake in the spirit of the last couple minutes of your yeah, just just your hot we take. could just Tom Brady. That's what he was doing, I guess. Yeah. Safety yeah. first. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a nice. That's a nice crutch for Tom to lean on. Mm-hmm. We just and I get it. I get the the other side of that argument. We've just been running into each other for for three right. hours. Exactly. But hey, getting rid of the handshake, the post game handshake, is by definition minimizing exposure, even if it's a fraction of a percent of what you've just experienced. I would like to cancel um, also in the same vein, the thong that Lane Kiffin was wearing on his face. The the decaf Metcalf thong. I mean, if you're going to wear a thong on your face, we're big fans of decaf Metcalf, but come on, that was like, what were we doing there, Lane? Right, and wearing it is generous. It was usually around his it neck. It was draped yeah. around that that neck yeah uh also by the way nick saban everybody steals signals in college i think like big schools hire people to steal signals lane said it wasn't possible because they want to go so fast. they want to go so fast come to the sip right come to the sip <laughs> i love this dude down there he's so ashley schaefer if they were both to stay there a decade are you are you betting on mike leach or lane kiffin i'm betting on lane kiffin oh i would say mike leach no, Mike Leach, I'm not buying it anymore. I'm just not buying it. You stay in there for 10 years. Mike oh, Leach. you're saying staying longer. Yeah. I, no, 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 no. I'm saying if they both had to stay there for a decade. Oh, yeah, I'm betting on Lane. Okay. I'm betting on Lane. I'm, I'm on the Lane train now. Also, cancel the franchise tag. I mean, goes without saying after what we saw yesterday. What happened out there, Dada? What happened out there, Dada? What do you got? Well, for me, it's the Mike Zimmer call to, uh, to end the game. I don't hate it, ultimately. My offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, says... If your drive ends in a kick of any sort, it's a good drive. Oh yeah, whether that be a a punt, yeah, uh, or or a field goal or a PAT, um, yeah, you kick the field goal. You cannot lose in regulation. It seems like Russ is going to go down there and score no matter what. So sure, go for it in the game. It didn't happen. We all know what the result was. Uh, but uh, what what is your son asking me? What, what happened? happened out yeah. there? Uh, Uncle, Uncle Macon. Mike, Uncle Macon, yeah. yeah. Mike Zimmer made a, a fine call and it didn't pay off, Waylon. Yeah, it was the right call, I think. Not for me gambling-wise, right. but it was the right call. Um, I'm going to go golf spike. So funny because it reminded me of when I let one get away. Um, sailed a first pitch in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever told you this story, but I was a rookie in St. Louis. A lot of hope there uh, at that time the franchise for me uh trot me out to throw out the first pitch at cardinal stadium they call that baseball heaven i wouldn't dare desecrate it is that not bush stadium no it's i think it's cardinal stadium or is it okay. bush stadium i don't know i don't watch a lot of baseball it's a stadium it's a stadium beautiful skyline you got the arch in the background but i would not dare desecrate that place by by mailing it in on a first pitch. I'm in the bullpen with the catcher warming up and I used to pitch a little bit back in the day, you know, not it wasn't my strong suit, but I'm asking the catcher, I forget who it was. I forget the guy's name, but I'm saying, how do I do this? Like, what do I do? And he's saying- You hadn't practiced at all leading up to that. No, nah, not until I got, I don't have a fucking bullpen at my apartment, you know? Well, you have like outdoor space and 
but I also have like a a season to worry about and that sort of thing. Um, and the pressures that go with being a, a an old CBA number two pick. It's just like there's a lot going on. And I'm guessing it wasn't Yachty who it was It wasn't catching. Yachty, I would have remembered. Okay. It was the bullpen catcher. Jason LaRue, Mark Johnson. I don't know. It was one of those guys. But the guy told me, whatever you do, man, don't skip the ball. Okay? He said, just don't skip it. Yeah, we have people all the time skipping dirt shit week. I said, do you care if I go out of a windup? He said, that'd be awesome. Go right ahead. <laughs> so the guy's gassing me up. I get out there. I'm winding up. And I let it get away from me a little bit. I'm trying to clock 78 in that range, That'd which is good. Yeah. which is high for a first pitch. But you know me. And I also don't, I get nervous in front of people, so I'm nervous anyways. But I'm like, I'm going to go big. I sail the ball. It goes over the guy's head. He can't even jump up and get it? It almost hits a fucking World War II veteran <laughs> in the head, in the dome. This man's got to be 80-something years old in 2008. Misses him by two feet. They're about to honor him in five seconds. He could have been killed, okay? I, I almost killed the guy. Hits the backstop, which is brick. Rolls all the way to first base. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've let him get away from me before. In the football world, there was a Danny Amendola spike in St. Louis that you could YouTube where I think he hit uh, a stadium worker and incapacitated said stadium worker with an errant spike. Just follow through. You know, the, the football was wet yesterday. I didn't have that excuse at uh, Cardinal Stadium. Jared Goff, that's what happened. Also, playing really good football right now, so we're not making fun of you. Go Rams. Go Rams. Game ball for you. Alex Smith. Okay, Alex Smith, it's a layup this week, right? Um, high draft pick, written off as a bust. He turned into a really good quarterback in the league. Really good quarterback in the league. And it all began in 2012 for him. I was there. I was on the field. Me and my mates were chasing Alex Smith out of the pocket at the old Candlestick Park. And we would pressured Alex Smith uh, into a scramble situation where he's trying to pick up a couple yards and Jolon Dunbar tattoos him. And he goes down. And then the guy with the cornrows comes in who runs really fast and lit up the league for the better part of three, four years. And we all know who that is and he could stand to get a job right now. But that was the end of Alex in San Francisco, just like that. And he ends up with the Chiefs and he did a fine job there, but he became the unlucky dude that came before Patrick Mahomes. But also still the guy good enough to play yeah to be the guy during Mahomes's first year yeah no doubt about it and probably had a lot to do with Patrick well, Patrick Mahomes is going to be fine with or without Alex Smith but I'm sure if you ask Pat Mahomes and I'm sure somebody has and we'd have a quote had I been more prepared but Pat Mahomes is probably pretty appreciative of having a guy like that in the building and that's not just like a cookie cutter vet who doesn't play it's a guy who's showing you how to do it on the field too He's not a Pat Mahomes, but he can show you how to be a pro. But he becomes unlucky again with him. And he even had the Washington football team in first place a couple years ago before this whole thing went down. So this guy at every turn has been unlucky, in my opinion. Then came the injury. We all know the story. Infection, 17 surgeries. You heard he could lose his leg. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, Jacob Rainey, who played at UVA, our buddy, hopefully a friend of the program, Woodbury Forest, 
had the femoral artery thing and lost his leg playing football quarterback. I mean, this stuff happens. It's very rare, but it happens. And uh, that was petrifying as a football player to think that that could happen on the field. You could be at risk of losing your leg. And then a comeback that we all kind of wrote off as a like 30 for 30 fodder, right? Like that's all it is, is like, it's about the journey. It's not when he gets there, he's just going to sign with the team, take his victory lap and say, Hey, I overcame 17 surgeries, you know, all these infections. This is just the formality. I'm closing the loop. That's what I thought it would be. Now we talked to Matt Matava over the summer. He said he could play still. Matt Matava is my old team doctor. He came on the pod. And that's the first time I had really heard from somebody I trusted that, oh no, this guy, he's structurally good. Like he could go play. And I cringed hearing that because it was a week after we saw that video of him ambling out of his house. Like it was just painful to watch objectively. And I'm thinking, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, but when somebody wants to, somebody wants to check a box, like Alex Smith wanted to check that box, nothing's going to stop him. And I, I was just so inspiring. You see him in practice in camp. You're saying, oh, maybe he's going to take some team reps. Then Haskins gets demoted. And how crazy is it like that the loop on his recovery and his journey kind of closes with another quarterback scrambling outside the pocket and getting hit in the dome. Uh, and just like that, we said it earlier, there was no like runway, there was no buildup. The perfect storm of things happened to give Alex a chance at his redemption. And it's just crazy. That's how the ride started eight years ago. That's how it begins again for him in his second chapter, wherever that takes him as a player uh, just yesterday. And immediately he threw the ball three times. They weren't afraid to use him. Scrambled, stepped up, even passed his first big test. I said, you know, yesterday it was Aaron Donald was was a 300-pound Jan Sport backpack. Uh, that's about like if you had to write up a, a script for let's find out if Alex Smith is good. That that's the one. Like that's there's no bigger test. Uh, and seeing his family was was a silver lining like that. You know, on a bad day of football. I mean, you couldn't help but be touched by like knowing what they're going through and seeing all the hard work that they had a front row seat on the last couple of years. Because when when players get injured, it's not just the day you get hurt, it's not just the day you come back. Your family, like, and I haven't had a bunch of surgeries. I had a few, but like, your wife helps you to the toilet. You're puking in the OR. The pain meds stop in the middle of the night and you just start crying because like, it's just so bad depending on the injury or the anguish mentally that you're going through. For us, Alex Smith was a background story for two, three years. To his family, that's like every day. And they've been supportive of him doing this crazy fucking thing because they knew it me meant something to them. And I think his his kids should be very proud having seen his dad complete this admittedly insane comeback, but a comeback nonetheless. And I think for him, it's more than just checking the box and closing the loop. He actually wants to play in the league. And so joke's on us. Hats off to him. Game ball, Alex Smith. Our greatest glory is not never falling, Chris, but in getting up every time we fall, Emerson, paraphrase. Mm. And uh, Alex Smith has lived that. Very impressive. I love an Emerson name drop at the end of the pod. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Maybe we'll do uh, Devil's, uh, what is that called again? Devil's Heads. Devil's Heads of, of Emerson uh, quotes. Of Emerson quotes next week. Nice. 
um, or Friday. All right, see y'all Friday. Take care of yourselves.